I am Tichelle Bordier. I am a, an assistant professor of human development and family science uh, and state extension specialist in youth development at, at the University of Missouri, looking at our next panel of physically distant, spiritually connected. This panel includes Mr. Bill Guggenheim, who's a pioneer in the field of after-death communication experiences and considered to be the father of ADC research, after-death communication. So check out their book, Hello from Heaven. Um, next, Dr. Raymond Moody is a leading authority on near-death experiences, a phrase he coined in the late 70s and is the best-selling author of 12 books. He is best known for his groundbreaking work on the near-death experiences and what happens when we die. The New York Times calls Dr. Moody the father of the near-death experience. Dr. Eben Alexander was an academic surgeon for over 25 years, including 15 years at the Brigham and Women's Hospital, Children's Hospital, and Harvard Medical School in Boston. He is the author of the New York Times number one bestseller, Proof of Heaven, The Map of Heaven, and Living in a Mindful Universe. This panel will be moderated by Elizabeth Boysen. Two of Elizabeth's children, children have transitioned, um, her daughter Chelsea in 1991 and her son Morgan in 2009 from severe altitude sickness while on a student trip to the base camp of Mount Everest in Tibet. Uh, immediately after, Elizabeth created an online bereavement support group for parents, helping parents heal. I turn it over to you. I'm a retired Navy commander, served as a commanding officer and aide to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and after the death of my stepdaughter, uh, went in search of answers about the afterlife and found them big time and found out that not only is my stepdaughter here, but all of our loved ones are here, and that I can communicate quite well with others across the veil, but what has convinced me of that is the evidence. So I have quite a few books out there about uh, mediumship and about the greater reality. And it's just my greatest joy to be a messenger of hope for people now to know that there is much more to this life than what we think. What about people who weren't able to be with their loved ones who have passed? And most especially recently with the coronavirus, families weren't allowed to be with their loved ones who were uh, dying, actively dying. And then many weren't allowed to attend funerals. But my answer to this question applies to anybody who couldn't be with a loved one and is suffering because they didn't get to say goodbye. There is a greater reality that we're part of something so much more than this earthly existence, that life continues, that consciousness underlies it all and consciousness does not die. So knowing that brings a level of peace beyond anything that I've ever known. But what's done it for me is the evidence. So I'll talk briefly at the end of my short period here about how you can have that personal experience of knowing that your loved ones continue on in a new chapter of their lives. But this is the point. I'd like to liken this to say your loved ones go on a beautiful trip or you go on a beautiful trip with them and you have maybe a cruise. And at the very end of the cruise, something tragic happens. Does that define the whole trip? Not at all. And this is what your loved ones would want you to know that, that the way they passed or the fact that you didn't get to say goodbye does not define their life. I know for a fact that our loved ones across the veil are met by other family members. Even before they pass, they start to see them. So even if they may have seemed to have been alone, they were not alone. The soul was already greeting family members. And once they got to the other side, all suffering is just eclipsed by the feeling of bliss of being surrounded by loved ones and being in that reality without the physical body challenges. As for not getting to say goodbye, 
they will tell you, and thousands of those I've connected with across the veil have told me, there's no need to say goodbye because we're still right here. And through after-death communications, they're trying their best to let you know that, but just acknowledging that our loved ones are still here and carrying on a conversation with them lets you know that, well, I will let you know that they absolutely hear you. So say your goodbyes, say whatever you didn't get to say, but I encourage you all to have an ongoing communication with them and learn methods to connect with them and hear their responses and receive their messages and their signs from them. So I would recommend that everybody be very careful of your thoughts. It's wonderful to, to receive sympathy from friends and family members when we've suffered a physical loss, but don't play the victim for the rest of your life and that I didn't get to say goodbye because it makes us stay in our suffering. And those across the veil see you and don't want you to suffer. So know that they are still with you, that you don't need to say goodbye for that reason, and that they did not pass alone, even if a family member wasn't in the room with them. Beautiful, Suzanne. Thank you so much, Dr. Evan Alexander, who is a medical doctor who has experienced an amazing near-death experience, as um, Heidi was saying at the beginning. Um, he also wrote about it in his international bestseller, Proof of Heaven. Could you let us know what the effectiveness of prayer is during this pandemic? Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I want to thank the uh, organizers and the sponsors for this wonderful event. I think the COVID pandemic has brought tremendous challenges to all of us. Important to point out, you know, as an academic neurosurgeon for a long period of my life, for decades, I thought I had an understanding of brain, mind, and consciousness. Um, and also, people who've read Proof of Heaven will realize uh, I also had a dark night of the soul in terms of my belief in prayer and God um, and an afterlife, gave up on any kind of belief in prayer. I stopped saying prayers with my sons. And then I had my near-death experience. Um, it was due to severe bacterial meningoencephalitis, uh, a case that absolutely should have killed me. Uh, and the beautiful gift, there were many beautiful gifts of that journey, but one of the most profound was how I witnessed towards the end of my spiritual journey, uh, the connection offered through prayer. Uh, and in fact, I already uh, had described passage through many spiritual realms, but now a situation where I didn't seem able to access those higher spiritual realms again. And yet, even in the lowly realms, which were down here kind of near this material realm in our four-dimensional space-time, what I witnessed was this incredible beauty of connection with others. And uh, in fact, it was the emotional power of it, of people praying, uh, and my sense of it was that they surrounded me by the thousands going off into the distance, and there was this beautiful murmuring energy coming from them uh, that completely duplicated the, the bliss, joy, connection, and sense of oneness that I ex had experienced in all those higher realms, in the Gateway Valley, in the core realm that I'll describe in detail, and yet here I was feeling that same emotional power uh, with reconnection with beings in the earthly realm. And given the fact that I was amnesic for my entire life before, which was a crucial part of my NDE, but also one that was a bit atypical, uh, that was a critical part of it all. But uh, it, it was that sense, overwhelming sense of the power of, of prayer and connection. Now, since I came back from that journey, my, my life as a scientist, as a neuroscientist, as someone interested in 
quantum physics uh, and of science writ large, I have been trying to understand my experience for the last almost 12 years now. And much of that has involved daily meditation, uh, using tools to get very deep into uh, meditative uh, states. And so I've re-explored that internal connection. The good news is for all of us that the scientific world is far along the pathway of discovering this, this kind of deep truth and reality of the primacy of mind. That's really what uh, is right at the crux of it all. Uh, and so in, in effect, all, all those people who have been praying, who have been going within mind for thousands of years to connect with a force, to a, an infinitely loving and healing force, that God force, that reassures near-death experiencers beyond any doubt that they have nothing to fear about death because it's not an end, it's actually a liberation from the prison of the physical brain and body and our illusions of this four-dimensional space-time uh, and the illusion that this is all we are because we are all far grander than that. Consciousness is far grander than our little ego view, the little running stream of thoughts in our heads. It's the awareness that is so profound and powerful and inexplicable. And in that awareness, we connect not only with each other and not only beyond the death of the physical body, but we connect in very profound ways with that infinitely healing God force. As near-death experiencers will tell you, uh, at, at the kind of pinnacle of such journeys, uh, when we're uh, as far as we can be from this four-dimensional space-time in the material world, we are one with that infinitely loving force. And I came back here realizing that there was not some opposing force of evil, but that, in fact, each of us has the power to bring light and love into our lives and the lives of others, which we can do through prayer, meditation, that sense of connection, that it's absolutely real. In fact, this is the pathway forward for the scientific community studying the, the mind-brain connection, uh, is this understanding of one mind. And the more uh, we go into our consciousness in prayer and deep meditation uh, and connect with that one mind, connect with others, connect broadly with this uh, uh, extraordinary evolving consciousness, the more we can actually discern information uh, and then bring that back and put it into our kind of free will uh, uh, depiction of the world of our dreams. And that's where I think so much of this uh, is important. And I wanna point out one last point is before my coma uh, and, and well back before those eight years of my dark night of the soul, for me, prayer was a supplicative or, or a, a petitioning form of asking for something to happen. But in fact, my near-death experience showed me very clearly that I can trust in this universe, that when I have that love in my heart, love for self, love for the universe, and I share that love, kindness, compassion with others, and open my beliefs, uh, because our beliefs of our culture are falsely restricting in so many ways. And when we open our beliefs to these possibilities, we realize just how much power we have to bring that love and to trust that we will be taken care of, that we have nothing to fear. And to me, that's been the most beautiful gift of opening my heart uh, to prayer and to the realities uh, demonstrated to all those who, who practice prayer uh, on a regular basis, that in fact, it can bring tremendous goodness, love, healing, and wholeness into our lives. And especially at this time of the COVID pandemic, pandemic where we have to practice Physical separation, it's absolutely crucial to realize we are never separate. I love what Suzanne said in the opening. Uh, our loved ones would never want us to believe we're separate. And 
from the perspective of that realm, it's crystal clear that death of the physical body does not end our connection. Uh, and this is something all of us can come to discover on our own through um, a, a regular practice of prayer. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Dr. Alexander. And I just want to go back very quickly and talk a, just a short bit about Suzanne. She's obviously someone who's very important to our group, but she's also a renowned best-selling author and evidential medium and um, was also a former U.S. Navy commander who served as a commanding officer and aide to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff at, um, on 9-11. So, I, I just think that it's important to let everyone know that she comes from a very different background than a lot of people who are in this afterlife community. And she has made a huge difference in so many of our parents' lives. But moving on from Suzanne, I'd like to introduce Bill Guggenheim. He's an authority on after-death communication, ADCs. And it has been shown that this communication can be very healing. Um, he wrote a wonderful book with his ex-wife, Judy, entitled Hello from Heaven, that's filled with examples of ADCs. Thank you, Bill. Um, could you define ADC and give examples of some of the most frequent ones that are sent to us by our loved ones in spirit? An after-death communication is a spiritual experience that occurs when someone is contacted directly and spontaneously by a family member or friend who has died. This means that there's no third party involved. There's no psychics or mediums or therapists or rituals, devices, or anything like that. It's just between you, yourself, and your loved one who has come back to communicate with you in some way. And uh, the second part of it is that these are spontaneous, are spontaneous experiences because our deceased loved ones determine when, where, and how to contact us. ADCs can happen anywhere, anytime, anyplace, anything. We currently estimate that about, could be 60 million Americans to 125 million Americans have had one of these, whether one's a conservative estimate, one is probably more realistic, one out of three people. And uh, so they're very, very common. And uh, that's what we found when we did our research for seven years. Basically, we found there are 12 different categories, but the most common one is sensing or the presence, feeling the, your deceased loved one is right near you, and you can feel them in the space that you're in, in a room, if you're inside, and you can know where they are to your left or right or behind you, in front of you, whatever. Some people experience a temperature change. Other people uh, know when they uh, have arrived and when they're leaving. So it's very concrete in that way. But in our culture, we say this can't be real. We're very much a into denial about things like this. So most people discard these experiences, and but they can go on, especially right after the, our loved one has made their transition for many months or even years later, depending on the circumstances. And uh, we believe that they wanna communicate with you verbally, which we recommend you close your eyes, sit down, open your mind, and see if you receive a message by the next category, hearing a voice. Some people say they hear a voice like you're hearing mine through your ears, but uh, others say it's by telepathy, it's by thoughts. And that's the way I receive communication from my daughter who died, is by telepathy. Quite. And uh, it's very clear, very, I know what she's saying and she understands me, it's back and forth. And uh, it's uh, very joyous to have that. Other categories are feeling a touch, like a pat, a pat, a caress, 
some, some kind of physical touch, a kiss, a hug. Moving along, just uh, smelling a fragrance could be anything. Could be a cologne, a perfume, an aftershave, a flower, a bath, products, tobacco, foods, whatever you might associate with your loved one who has made their transition. The most ex exciting ones to uh, hear about, write about, are visual experiences. There are many variations, but you, the important thing is you'll see your deceased loved one healed and whole, and usually, almost always, in radiant health, regardless of their form of death. And whether it's coronavirus or whether it's on a battlefield, it doesn't matter, uh, they will appear to you healed and whole. And I want you to know that, especially bereaved mothers, that their children are fine. Everybody is, but I'm especially saying children. Many people have an ADC or after death communication while they're asleep. And they'll very, very quickly say, but this was not just a dream, it was unlike any other dream I ever had before. It's uh, much more colorful, it has a beginning, a middle and an end. It feels like a visit, it really is, it's a visit. We're the most open when we're sleeping or meditating those two times. And if you wanna have an experience, learn how to meditate is the easiest way. So uh, many people are writing books today about uh, physical phenomena and symbolic ADCs, physical phenomena is where lights go, anything can go off, but when lights, radios, TVs, any kind of device goes on and stays on, and typically if it's a, a radio or something, you might hear a particular song, you associate just with that one person, you know it's from them. Because this is their gift to you, this is their gift of love. All these experiences are based upon love, love for us, our concern, their concern for us. And then the big category is symbolic ADCs. And uh, that is so big, it, it requires books to cover it because it, it covers uh, butterflies and rainbows and species of birds and flowers and finding things, coins, feathers, pictures, on and on and on it goes. It's just hundreds, thousands of instances of that. In our book, we have 353 first-hand accounts and what I'd just like to finish up my uh, bit here that the purpose of all these experiences is that is to provide us with comfort reassurance and hope that we will have reunion again with them with a person or persons who we love who have died in my case my father died when I was eight years old my mother uh, my uh, younger daughter just recently you know, 2011 nine years ago and my little dog, my little black dog, some of you may know about. He made his transition on April 15th. And yes, I've heard from him. Yes, pets included. People have ADCs with pets. They can see them, they can hear them, they can feel them on the, up on the bed, all kinds of stuff. Our book doesn't include pets, unfortunately. And basically they're letting us know that they're saying, I'm fine, I'm okay, everything's okay. Go on with your own life. Don't worry about me, don't grieve for me. And uh, they're saying, I'll always be there for you. I'm watching over you, sort of like a guardian angel. I'll see you again when we make our transition. And behind it all, whether the words are actually verbalized or not, is I love you. So these, it was a joy to do this research, to collect these accounts, because it's all based upon love. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Bill. Dr. Raymond Moody, you are a medical doctor. You have earned... Uh, two PhDs, and you're a best-selling author. 
You're also an authority on both near and shared death experiences and wrote the seminal work, Life After Life. Please let us know about the current status of research about both near-death experiences and life after death. Well, first of all, um, thank you all for having me, and I'm just awed and honored to be with you. Um, because um, I myself lost my first child in uh, 1970, at the age of 36 hours, which was to me nine months, right? And so I know from within this, what it does to, the, to you for the rest of your life. So um, my point is, thank you for having me. And I just, I know what you all go through. Um, Elizabeth mentioned to me that quite a number of you are interested in life after death, as I am too. And um, I have been investigating near-death experiences since the early 1960s. And I have um, talked with literally thousands of people from all over the world who have had them. And, um, and I'm assuming everybody listening to this probably knows about near-death experiences a little bit. And uh, from the time I've had in this field, I realized very early on when I first started lecturing on this, um, I was a philosophy professor at East Carolina University from 69 to 72. And as I was talking about this phenomenon with my philosophy students, word spread in the community and pretty soon I was talking to the civic clubs in town, right? And I, in addition to the people who were always there who had had such an experience themselves, I immediately realized that there were a lot of people there who were um, looking to this from some, for some sort of consolation in the, uh, over the loss of a loved one. And, um, you know, Plato himself, who was really the first person and still the best who ever looked at the question of life after death from a rational perspective, and that Plato himself pointed this out, that when you're looking into the, into the question of life after death from the rational perspective, you cannot separate that entirely from the, the aspect of consolation. There's always a desire for consolation. And let me read you something that, this is one of my favorite um, quotations from C.S. Lewis. And I think it's very important for this field that we're all in. C.S. Lewis said, if you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth, only platitudes and wishful thinking to begin, and in the end, despair. And I've seen that happen so many times, and I know that you have, where people come in, they've lost a loved one, they get swept up in some, charismatic personality who gives them all the answers to everything. And we see what happens again and again, right? There is a profound ethical responsibility that comes from people, you know, who are looking into this from a genuinely rational point of view. And I accept that limitation. Um, and so therefore, the reason I'm saying all this is I want to say something here and that is that I want to claim here and now 
that I have made a genuine breakthrough in the rigorous rational investigation of the question of life after death. The question of life after death is not susceptible to the mind we have and the logic we have. And the way Hume was putting that together, he said it ends it all because, you know, the logic we have is worked pretty well for 2,300 years, and we think we know our minds, and the idea that we could come across with some new faculties of the mind seems highly unlikely. But what I am claiming here and now is that I have solved Hume's problem. I have worked on this. It was part of my doctoral dissertation in 1969. It's continued to develop, but basically what I've developed, which was an entire course and that I've taught many times at universities on this is a way to reformat your mind to think logically about questions that heretofore haven't yielded to logic and one of them is the question of life after death. Now I realized a long time ago back in the 70s that eventually somebody who had been through my way of reformatting their mind would happen to have a near-death experience. And I knew full well that when that happened, the person would be forced to formulate it in a new way. I can't, don't have the time to go through why now, but that would be the outcome. They would have to think about this in a new way. It's a way of getting around the ineffability problem, basically. But what I can now say is that this has come to pass, a very eminent and distinguished scientist and uh, artist, actually, as he is, um, who had the seminar that I did on this subject um, uh, at, at one of the seminars I did on this years ago, and then subsequently he had a near-death experience, and he, or actually three of them, in the course of a hospitalization for H1N1, during which he lost his leg from gangrene, he almost died, he had three cardiac arrests, but basically when he came back, he called me and he told me about his near-death experiences. And then he said, and he said, and Raymond, when I was there on the other side, I went back to the seminar and he said, I saw that what you're saying is right. He said that you can't comprehend how that world is connected to this world, unless, he said, you take the unintelligibility axis into account. And I don't really have any, the point, you know, the time not here for forgetting it that, but if you want to read this, and I'm not trying to sell a book, but this is, it's recently come out from Llewellyn Press, Making Sense of Nonsense. This is, in effect, my university course and all the exercises in there, it teaches you how to reformat your mind to think logically about not just the afterlife question, but some other questions that have lied beyond logic. I just want to say Bill Guggenheim is coming back. He's already spoken to us. Suzanne has spoken to us twice on our YouTube channel. Dr. Evan Alexander has also spoken to us. Dr. Raymond Moody has as well. All of those are available on our YouTube channel and they're free of charge and everyone is welcome to attend the upcoming ones as well. And thank you for having us. I thank truly you. appreciate this. Thank you to all of you at Open to Hope and thank you to the panelists as well. I've learned that it helped me to help others, to know I'm not the only one, put one foot in front of the other, find a life. Adding hope to the darkness, you start on the trip to recovery.
reach deep down inside and say, I am going to live on. We laugh, we cry, and remember. Hope without action doesn't work. Hope with action can change the world. We always say, if you've lost hope, please lean on ours.